but he decides that he's going to be the goalkeeper now. And the whole match just stops, as you can imagine. And for a moment, everyone's like, oh, you know, that's kind of cute. But then he, he just keeps standing there. <laughs> and so his mum, everyone sort of turns to look at his mum who's standing next to me. And she's like just hiding her face, pretending like it's not happening. His dad is one of the players on the field. And so he goes over to his son, goes to the goal mouth and starts talking to him. But the kid is still just <laughs> totally ignoring him. And now it's kind of getting awkward because it's like it's been a couple of minutes and we're still waiting for our game to start and they're still waiting for their game to finish. The referee is scratching his head because he can't very well go and pick up the kid and just sort of take him off the field. The players are looking around confused, wondering who's meant to do something. And the reality is this kid is holding the game to ransom, right? Just because he's not playing by the rules. Now, the reason I tell you this story is because, believe it or not, and whether you recognize it or not, churches face this same problem as well, at least from time to time. See, sometimes people, even Christians, don't want to play by the rules, so to speak. We hit situations where, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, Christians sin. Sometimes we stray into sin. Even last week, remember the the sheep straying away? Sometimes Christians even stray into serious sin. And what happens then is, uh, as we've seen, no person is an island. And so whenever I sin, my sin actually affects other people, right? Uh, It affects our relationships in the church. It affects generally our sense of safety and trust with one another in the church. It affects the witness of the church. People start thinking, well, if if that's what Christianity is like, then I don't want a bar to do with it. And many of us have seen churches essentially held to ransom by someone's desire to continue on in sin and not repent. So clearly, we need to do something to intervene when situations like this happen. And what we call that is church discipline. It's where we take one or more steps to try and address sin in our midst, for the good of the church, for the good of the person. But this is the moment where we tend to look around, like in the soccer game that I was watching, and people sort of go, what are we meant to do? How are we meant to do this? Who's meant to do this? Have you ever felt that way? Like you see a brother or sister who's stuck in sin, and whose job is this? Who should say something? What should they say? What if they don't listen? What if they get angry? What if they get upset? I don't know. And we we tend to get paralyzed and not actually do something about it. But here in Matthew 18, Jesus actually gives us really clear answers. He doesn't leave us with a mystery. Like he actually steps us through. Here's the process I want you to take in my church if someone is caught in sin. He leaves us with clear commands. Did you catch what he says? It's pretty big. Listen to it. If you see your brother or sister caught in sin... Go and tell them. And if they don't listen, get another couple of friends. Go to them together. If they still don't listen, tell it to the church. And if they still don't listen, treat them as an unbeliever. They're no longer part of us. Simple, right? (laughs) Clear, but not simple. Anything but simple. I mean, this this is really uncommon in Australia to see churches do what Jesus is saying here. It's basically unheard of on the Central Coast. It does happen uh, in churches in Australia, just so you know, like this isn't some 
far out wacky thing, um, but, but it's, pretty, it's pretty uncommon. And I think one of the reasons is because it's just really hard. Um, some of you guys are aware, actually, that I'm doing a... Like, I'm just about to finish my theological study, which is like, woohoo! <laughs> it's been 10 long years of, of research and study. And the last thing I've got to do is a project. So 12,000 words, uh, master's level project. And the topic that I picked is church discipline. <laughs> why on earth would I do that? I'll tell you why. Because this stuff's hard. And I'll be honest, I need to gain courage at doing it. That's why I'm researching this. That's why I'm giving like six months of my life <laughs> to this thing. And I've got books stacked up this high in my office that I've been reading, right? Because this is hard. And, and so if you hear this and you're going, ah, <laughs> then welcome to the club. This is hard stuff. And that's why today we're going to look at not just what Jesus says, but how we put this into practice as a church. We're going to be pretty practical with this, okay? We're going to look at, at understanding Jesus' words and then how we actually do this. But we need his help, don't we? And so how about we pray? Lord God, even just raising the issue, I know, is going to raise the, the temperature in the room and maybe even raise people's blood pressure. And so I want to pray, Lord, that you would bring your peace, the peace that only comes from the truth because it's the truth that sets us free. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to wrestle with these words, not to dodge them or evade them, but, but to, to go, these are the precious words of your son. They will never pass away. Uh, and so, Lord, help us to, to understand them, submit to them, and sit with them and obey them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, I only just started playing soccer again this year. I'm 35 years old now, and I tell you, like, I do not feel in my 20s anymore. It is, I'm so sore from the game yesterday. <laughs> But, but every Saturday that we go and we play soccer, we've got to set up the field before we play. Right? That's part of being in the church league. You, you pay less, but you also get less. <laughs> and so we have to do the work. We serve because it's church league. We go, we put in the corner posts, we hoist up the nets on the goalposts, we fill out the team sheet, all that sort of stuff. And until we've done that work, we can't actually go and play the game. Now, when we approach this topic of church discipline and how do we do this in the church, we've got to do some field setup as well before we actually look at the topic. And so I want to ask us three questions, and the answers are going to come just straight from the passage. So open up your Bible if you don't have one open, Matthew 18. We're looking at verse 15. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's fine. Um, there are a few floating around. There's some up the back. Um, or you can grab your phone and just search Matthew 18. It'll come right up, okay? Here are the three questions that we're going to ask. Where do we practice discipline? Why do we practice discipline? And who gets the job? Where, why, who? And that'll set up the field so we can answer how. First question, where do we practice discipline? Answer, in the church. In the church. That's why it's called church discipline, believe it or not. Have a look at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your what? Your? Have a look. What's it say? Your brother. Your brother. Now, it's a language of family. Brothers and sisters. The church is a family, right? When we are saved, when we, when we trust in Jesus, we're, we're brought to faith and repentance by God's sovereign hand. We, we don't just sort of get this like individual ticket to heaven and then that's it. We live however we want. We are saved into a people. 
God's holy people. We're saved into a family. And what that means is as children of God, we have brothers and sisters, right? And Jesus says, addressing sin happens here in this family, where as the body of Christ, if the arm does something, it's going to affect the leg and it's going to affect the eye and it's going to affect the ear. With the body of Christ and what we do affects each other. He doesn't command us to discipline those outside the church, right? I mean, think about there's a parent down at a park and they see a stranger's kid acting like an absolute rat bag. What can that parent do? Well, you know, they can't go and put the kid in timeout. <laughs> and they can't threaten to take away their toys or say no more Xbox. You know, that's not their jurisdiction. Which is why Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Interesting, the word judge that's used there. Not judge as in condemn, but judge as in actually evaluate where they are spiritually and take appropriate action. Okay? We practice discipline in the church among fellow believers who've committed to Jesus and each other in a local body of believers. So it is here in a local church that this happens. And, and I, I want to just camp on that phrase a little bit, local church, local body of believers. Here, we call that membership. Membership, okay? And, and membership isn't something that just automatically happens for someone. There are all sorts of unhelpful ideas around what a church member is. It's, you know, some people say it's something that can transfer from one church to another automatically, or it's, it's something that just happens the, the longer you've been around somewhere, or it's something if you belong to the Anglican church, then you're a member of any Anglican church that you happen to attend. But that's not what Scripture presents as membership. So here, um, we actually have a process where someone uh, goes through a, a membership class, Right? And you won't find that in the Bible, but it's a, it's a helpful way of just understanding what our church is on about. And then they sit down with the elders and they chat through their testimony. They actually write out what their testimony is so that we have a reasonable idea. Are they a genuine Christian or not? Because it makes no sense for someone to be a member of a church unless they're actually a Christian. <laughs> right? Uh, in fact, the, the word for church in the Bible, do you know what it is? The Greek word? Ekklesia. Ekklesia. It just means gathering. And whenever this word is used in the Bible, and it's used referring to the church, it's referring to a believing body, okay? A body of believers. That's why there has to be process around this. Before we give you the jersey, we need to know that you're a Christian, reasonably, based on reasonable evidence. And then after sort of being through that process, it's actually the church members, the church family, that decide to recognize someone as a member or not. It's not just by osmosis. It's not just automatic. It's a decision. In fact, it's not even just my decision. It's the member's decision. And that's important because just like playing for a soccer team, right, there are expectations when you put on the jersey, right? Like if you're going to wear the jersey and represent the team, then you turn up for training, you play in the spirit of the game, you know the rules and you play by them, you play your position, all of that. That goes with wearing the jersey. And so someone who doesn't agree to those expectations and is going to essentially act like a pitch invader on the field, they don't get to wear the jersey yet, right? That just, that's just fair. And that's not about being mean or excluding people or saying, you know, you can't come here. Well, no, it's just saying we'd, we'd love you to join the team. We'd love you to run with us. 
But we need to know that you're going to run in the same direction as us, first of all. We need to know that you understand the expectations of putting on the jersey. And if someone hasn't made that commitment, like the invitation's there, right? But, but if they haven't made the commitment, then they don't get the jersey. They don't get to run on the field. And in terms of church, that's, that's actually the difference between someone who attends a local church. They might even be regular. They might have been here for decades. But they're attending versus actually part of, committed to, reciprocally recognized by the members of the church as a fellow member, a fellow brother or sister. And we can really, like this is just fair, we can really only watch over and discipline those who've signed up for the expectations, right? Like someone who puts on the jersey is saying, I'm going to play with this team running this way by the rules. You can't say to someone who's not wearing the jersey, quick, get on the field and score a goal for us. That doesn't work. So it's only those who are recognised as members of a local ecclesia, a local church, who are the subjects of church discipline. Where do we practise it? Here in the church, among the members. Second question, why do we practise discipline? And there are plenty of possible answers here. There's a pastor named Mark Dever. Uh, He writes a number of very helpful books on this. I'll just give you five possible reasons that uh, we might practice church discipline. I think these are really helpful. It's for helping other Christians see the danger of their sin. So it's, it's a deterrence. See, brother or sister, what happens? We don't just let this go. We don't just sweep it under the rug. Secondly, it's for the health and safety of the church. Thirdly, it's for the pure witness of the church to the world. Fourthly, it's for the glory of God by reflecting his holiness. And finally, it's for the good of the disciplined person. And all of those are true. That's how important this stuff is. Like literally, our sanctification, our church health, our evangelistic witness, and our sense of God's holiness among us hangs in the balance based on how we do church discipline. This is important stuff. But there's one of these that Jesus singles out here in this passage. Can you see what it is? Have a look. Verse 15. Why do we practice discipline? In the hope that we would gain back our brother. That's why. It's rehabilitative. It's restorative. The hope is that we win them back. Again, in verse 15, go to your brother. And if he listens, what does Jesus say? You have gained your brother back. That's the goal. Address sin to gain your brother. Not to level judgment. Not just to take him down a peg. Not to get back at him. But in the hope of their restoration. Like we saw last week, we don't despise those who stray. We don't despise those who stray, right? Because there but by the grace of God go I. (laughs) In fact, when when I see a straying believer, there's a picture of what I used to be. I was a sheep going astray. Ba, ba, do, ba, ba, the Colin song, right? We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We all lived as, as the ruler of our own little lives, pretending like we were our own little king, But God's the king. He's the creator. Turning our back on him and choosing to do our own thing, where does that end us up? Hell. Under God's judgment. That's where we end up. Because he will not put up with treason. That's what it is. So when I see Australian believers, but by the grace of God, He sent his son, Jesus, to take my sin upon himself. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. 
right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right? This is the gospel. And, and when we grip the gospel and, and that Jesus has taken our sin, where, where is there room for pride? <laughs> I didn't save myself. I was a lost sheep. And so when I look at a brother who's, who's starting to tend back to his old life, when I look at a sister who's beginning to stray away from the gospel, I don't go, what a fool, what a bozo. I go, oh, by the grace of God, that's not me. Thank you, Lord. And, and now I want to reach out to them and seek them, right? That's what we saw last week. And that's the posture and the aim that Jesus wants us to have with church discipline. It's the recovery of our brother or sister, not by judgment, but by compassionate humble help. So here's the second thing. Why do we practice church discipline? In the hope of gaining back our brother. Third question. Who does the job? Who practices discipline? And it's common for churches to say, the pastor. <laughs> After all, that's why we pay the guy millions of dollars every year. You know, so he does a, the dirty work, or, or more accurately in this case, just the difficult work. And it is difficult. Because imagine sitting down, if you haven't tried this before, or maybe you have, sitting down and having a difficult conversation with someone where you're saying, brother or sister, I think you're in sin. What are they going to do? Well, they, they might disagree with you. They might argue with you. They might debate with you. They might start crying. They might get angry. They might get up and throw a chair, like hopefully not. But any of these things could happen, right? And so it's quite natural for someone to go, you know, here's, here's this issue going on with someone, and they come to me and they go, Dan, here's the issue, and, and Dan, you're such a good listener, and you're, you're just so good at bringing the right scripture to bear on someone and, and helping them see what they need to do, so can, can you go and talk to them? <laughs> and, you know, thank you, fictitious person that I just made up. That's a really nice compliment. That's great. I'm, I'm very humble too, just so you know. But, but that's the temptation. It's go to the pastor. But here's what I want you to do. Take a look at Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17, and count up for me each time that it says the word pastor or elder. Now, isn't that interesting? Do you find that a bit surprising? This isn't the job that Jesus gives to the pastor or the elder. It's the job that he gives to the church. This is a job for everyone who is a member of a local church. And that's why in verse 18, we get this. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, Jesus says to you, plural you, use. He says to use. Use decide who gets to wear a team jersey. You decide, members of this local church, where the boundary line is between bound and loosed, right? And sometimes people do funny things with these verses where they say, this is about binding spirits or loosing spirits or demons or something. That's not what this is about. This is about church discipline. This is about church membership. You make the call about where the line is for being bound to the church as a gospel believer and where the line is for being loosed from the church as an unbeliever. That's the authority and responsibility given to the local church. And yes, pastors and elders, of course, play a role we're here to lead the church and equip the saints for works of ministry. Of course we do. But the responsibility, the final buck for this, is actually given to the members of the ecclesia, the members of the church. And so the bottom line is, if you are a member here, this is your job. This is your job. But you say, Dan, I'm just not a confrontational person. Conflict makes me anxious. I, I hate being the bad guy. 
fair enough. I'm actually that way as well. But imagine a parent who said, I just hate being the bad guy. I hate saying no to my kid. You know, I hate having to confront my kid when they do something wrong. Where's that going to lead? That's exactly the word I've got written here, Mary. Chaos. <laughs> That's how you know Mary's been around the traps. <laughs> See, it doesn't matter that, that a parent loves or hates doing hard things. They've got to do it. It's their responsibility. So same for us. Lest we stand before the Lord one day and say like Cain, Oh, am I my brother's keeper? Is that my responsibility? Yes, it is your responsibility. If you're a member here, that's our commitment. So there's the setup, all right? Set up the field. Where do we practice discipline? Not outside the church and not just among anyone who turns up here on a Sunday morning, but among the ecclesia, the members of a local church, those who signed up. Secondly, why do we practice discipline? Lots of good reasons. Big one, in the hope of gaining our brother or sister back. Not just to punish, to gain, to restore, to seek. Thirdly, who does the job? The members of the local church. Together, it's our job. Which brings us then to how we actually do this. And, and with the field set up the way that I've set it up, you can see probably that the rest of this sermon oddly enough, is really just for members of this church, right? So, so we can almost just say we're done there and we'll have a members meeting in a couple of weeks and, and we'll just pick up there. Because if you're not a member of this local church, this is not your job, okay? I want you to hear that. But if that's you, I don't want you to phase out. For example, if you're, if you're maybe not a believer, uh, you, you've come this morning and you'd say, I'm not a Christian, um, it's great that you're here. It's actually awesome that you're here, particularly for a topic like today. <laughs> it is actually great you're here because um, when someone becomes a Christian, if you're thinking about this, if you're thinking of becoming a Christian um, or, or just like investigating perhaps, then um, don't get the idea that it's just about getting a ticket to heaven and then live how you want. I said that before, right? Um, it's, it's actually you're, you're brought into a people and you're, you're brought under the lordship of Jesus. And it's not our works that save us, but the Lord saves us to do good works. He wants to change us. Uh, and, and what that means is, as we go through this stuff on church discipline, if you're thinking about following Jesus and if you're thinking about joining a church, then this will apply to you. I want you to know what you're signing up for. On the other hand, if you are here and you're a believer and maybe you attend here, but you're not yet a member here again, it's so great to have you with us. Um, but if you're thinking about membership here at this church, I want you to know what's the job that you're signing up for because this will be part of your job. So don't phase out, even if you're not a member here. But here we go. How do we practice church discipline? Do that just drop out? Is that still there? There we go. Um, how do we practice church discipline? I will give it to you in four words and we're just going to take this through the passage. Those four words are talk, take, tell and treat and we can't go through this in exhaustive detail but we're going to paint the picture as jesus does and like i said we'll be practical about this how do we actually take the steps step one talk in private so verse 15 again if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone and if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. You might remember this uh, ad campaign 
back in the 2000s. If you see something, say something. Right? It was all like that post-terrorist scare sort of time, post 9-11. If you see something, say something. Uh, I think that's actually not a bad slogan for, for church discipline. If you see something sinful, say something helpful. Right? If you see something sinful, say something helpful. And go and, as Jesus puts it, tell him his fault. And the Greek word that we translate as tell here is actually not the normal word for tell. It's not just go and say something. And it's not a flippant word either. I want to show you another verse where this word appears. Here it is in Ephesians 5.11. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them or tell them. There's the word there, expose. That's the word that Jesus is using here. Go to your brother and expose his fault to him. Put it on the table. Don't mince words. Don't sugarcoat it. Just put it out there. Right? And the other sense of this word as well in, in the original Greek is this idea of light shedding into darkness. So it's lifting the lid on something that's hidden perhaps and, and letting the light flood in, the light of the truth of God's word, the light of the gospel uh, brought to light on that sin so that it can be addressed. And I think that imagery implies a couple of things. Firstly, it implies that the sin has to be self-evident. Okay? It has to be something that's, that's actually there. If you're shedding light on something, it's got to be on something. Not just a matter of personal opinion. Like, you know, I think someone's a bit mean. Or they make me feel a bit put down. Like, that's legitimate. That's okay. But that's not sin. Uh, we need to actually be able to point to something, some evidence that this is happening. So it's not just they're a bit mean. It's, oh, no, no, no. I heard them gossiping. They were gossiping about so-and-so. And... -so and Here's, here's what happened, right? There's got to actually be evidence to this. After all, Scripture warns us about making careless accusations. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 9 to 10, argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. That's pretty full on, isn't it? The warning here is that there's got to be a clear reason for the conversation. Otherwise, you'll be the one left with something to reflect on. So there's the first thing to do with this word expose and, and the imagery, I think. The second thing, though, is that it shows our goal is to help. Right? Why do we do church discipline? To help our brother, hoping to gain them back. We shed light onto darkness, not adding darkness to darkness just by condemning or, or judging. But we do it by directly exposing what we see to be our brother or sister's fault. Now, here's something you can do to try and do that well and try and do it with the, the best chance of your brother or sister listening, okay? If you're a member here, I want you to listen to this because this is, this is, I think this is really good advice. Three phrases that you can use if you need to confront your brother or sister. I see... Oh, we're not going to get it up there. That's okay. Can you just go back a couple of slides for me, Raynard? That's okay. Yeah, one more. Thank you. So here's the phrases. They won't come up there. Just listen to me. <laughs> I see. I feel. I think. Write those down if you, if you can't remember those phrases. I see. I feel. I think. This is just a really good structure that helps bring any coldness or condemnation out of a conversation with someone about a hard topic. I see, I feel, 
I think. And here's what it sounds like. I'll dob someone in. Someone who's been making eye contact. Joel, you've been making eye contact. I'm going to job you in. So, so let's say um, Joel's been gossiping, right? And he's not here this morning, so we'll go Ethan. He's been gossiping about Ethan, and that, those two are good mates, so I don't think that'd happen. <laughs> but, but I might do something like this with Joel. So listen, listen to how I have the conversation. I go, hey, Joel, it's Sunday morning. Hey, mate, do you mind if we have a quick sit and a quick chat? We sit down together, and I want you to listen now. I see. So, mate, I've just got something important to talk with you about. Um, one thing I've seen lately has to do with how you've been talking about Ethan. So I've noticed, there's I see, I've noticed that you've been saying some pretty negative things about him to other people. For example, last Sunday when we were all hanging around in that group, da 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 and I give some of the details, right? So that's I see. Here's the evidence, here's the thing. It's just what I've seen. You, you can't dispute the facts. This is what it is. Secondly, I feel. So, mate, I, I just I feel concerned for you because Scripture calls that gossip. And I'm actually worried for you and, and for your growth in Jesus because that's sin. Then I think, I think you really need to reflect carefully on this because I want to see you grow in Jesus and put sin to death. That's it. It's like a one to two minute conversation where, where I've just exposed what I see to be a, a fault in, in Joel. Right? I know that's a bit like harsh to say in one sense, but we're never more like Jesus than when we're dealing with our sin. <laughs> think about that. That's when we're growing in holiness. That's when we're becoming more like him. And so I've exposed this fault and love for Joel with truth. And, and it's just taken a couple of minutes. And I might, I might ask some questions throughout. So I might say something like, you know, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Or have you noticed yourself doing this? Or, you know, do you agree this is gossip? Do you, what do you think the Lord thinks about this? And that, that might just sort of naturalize the conversation a bit. And I might even finish it with something like, hey, brother, can I touch base with you again next week? I'd just love to hear what you think about this. But there's a, there's a way that you could have a conversation with someone. I see, I feel, I think. And that helps drain any of the coldness or condemnation out. And just a little thought as well. If someone comes to you and has a conversation like that, and you hear them starting to do the, I see, I feel, I think. And you're going to notice when I do this now, right? Like I'm giving away all my tricks. You go, oh, he's doing the I see, I feel. Yeah, it's because he's about to expose a fault. Uh, <laughs> I actually have this conversation with people all the time. You probably don't realize, but, but now you're going to see it. But that's good. That's good. I don't want to hoard the tricks, right? Like I'm here to equip the saints for works of ministry. So I just want to fling them out there and say, you do it. It's possible you can, right? But if someone comes to you with a conversation like that, just listen to them. Someone comes to me with a conversation like that, I listen. Just listen. Be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. You can, if there's something they've missed, if there's something that needs clarification, that's okay. Hear them out first. Reflect back to them. Here's what I heard. Yep, okay, so you see this and you feel this and you think this. Thanks, brother. Thanks, sister. Hey, um, just so you know, there's also this to take into consideration and there's this as well. And oh, Okay, cool. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll keep thinking about it, you know? So you can clarify things, but first, just listen. So there you go. First step, talk in private. And honestly, I think this is going to be our best bang for buck as a church. Like all the following steps here um, are only relevant if the first one fails, right? So if we get better at doing that first one, stands to reason we're not going to have to do steps two, three, or four all that much. So if you want to think like, what's my application point from this sermon? Get good at doing that. Get good at, at noticing and get good at I see, I feel, I think. Right? Ask the Lord for help with that. But 
what if that fails? Not because you failed, but what if the brother or sister you've gone to says, you know, get lost, or, well, I don't agree, or, you know, um, I actually think God is okay with what I'm doing because of this scripture or whatever. What do you do then? Well, Jesus doesn't leave us with a mystery. He tells us. He says, go and take a witness. So talk in private, but then take a witness. Do you see how this just kind of raises the intensity a little bit? It raises the temperature. There's more seriousness now because it's not just one person and perhaps their opinion or their observation. There's a few people who are coming. And again, this doesn't have to be a pastor or elder at this point. There's no mention of, of me here. It could be. Sometimes that's wise, particularly if the situation's really tricky. But it doesn't have to be. This can just be you guys who are members here organising this and going and, and talking with your brother or sister about something that you're concerned about. And this language of witness as well, just, just to clarify, it doesn't have to be someone who witnessed the, the sin in this brother or sister's life. It could be. Often it's wise if that's the case, but it doesn't have to be. It could also be someone who is witnessing their response to this conversation. right? So they're a, a witness to how they respond, whether they repent or not, whether they chuck a yui and come back to Jesus or not. All right? that, that's the function of the witness here. So that's pretty straightforward. First one, doesn't work. Give it a little time. Go and bring a witness. Raises the intensity, gives a bit of support. Well, what if they still won't listen? What if they still won't listen to you? They're still saying, get lost. They're still saying, well, you know, we'll just have to agree to disagree. But they're running the opposite direction on the soccer field. What then? Jesus doesn't leave us with a mystery. He gives us a clear command. Tell it to the church. Here's where things get controversial, right? <laughs> Tell it to the church. When we moved into our house in Greenpoint, uh, we had a chat with one of our neighbours and, and he said to us, this is the perfect neighbourhood. This is such a great neighbourhood because, you know, if everyone's friendly. You walk down the street, you'll get a wave, but we don't live in each other's pockets. We're not, we're not really, you know, like involved in each other's lives. It's perfect. And there, right there, that, that's the Western individualistic worldview, isn't it? I'd love for a bit of friendliness and a bit of connection but what I don't want is involvement. And I certainly don't want accountability, right? But God challenges every culture, doesn't he? He challenges our culture. Believe it or not, we speak with an accent and God means to change us. And one of the ways that he means to change us is in our individualism because getting the wider family involved is the only way to deal with sin when it's become this entrenched. Because like, remember what's happened here. We've had someone like, trembling and fearful a lot of the time, going and, and prayerfully, lovingly raising an issue with their brother or sister. Here's my concern. And they've been rebuffed. And then we've had that same brother or sister bring a couple of, of supporters along, right? And, and they've come and they've said, no, this is really serious. And again, they've been rebuffed. We've got really entrenched sin here. Probably what's happened is this person has gone from like being apathetic about it to now being pretty like set in their rebellion about it. That ten, tends to be what happens here. And they're saying, no, no, I don't need to change. I can do whatever I want. And so now Jesus says it's the last resort. Pull out the pin from the grenade. This is the moment where we've got to leave nothing else on the table. 
It's not a private matter anymore. We need to get the wider family involved out of care for this individual to see them one back to Christ. So tell it to the church. And while the passage doesn't mention elders, it's wise for elders to be involved at this point. That's because we, we lead the church, we shepherd the church, we look after the church. And so what, what happens in this situation is, you know, we become aware that there's an issue We might go and chat with the individual. We hear their side of the story. We make sure this is legitimate. And if it is, we proceed with the step of telling it to the church. And if we need to go ahead, then we get together the members of the church. And it's really important to understand that this is not something that will happen here in the worship gathering on a Sunday morning. You will not hear an announcement about church discipline. You will not have to make a decision about church discipline here in our worship gathering because remember, we are, we are a mixed gathering, as it should be. We've got unbelievers, we've got attenders, we've got uh, members, and that's great. Um, but we call together just those who've put their hands in the middle and are wearing the jersey and have taken on this job and this responsibility with all its expectations. And we say, okay, guys, we've got some work to do. And what we do is we have a conversation with them. We let them know what's happened. And this isn't about airing dirty laundry It's not about rehashing all the details. It sounds something like this, okay? Our brother is in unrepentant sin. And Mike has gone to talk with him. Unfortunately, our brother rejected Mike. And then Mike and Peter and Anju and Jeff went and talked with our brother. So there were some witnesses. And unfortunately... He rejected even them. And so now we need to let you know that that our perception is this person is in unrepentant sin. You don't need to know all the details. You don't need to know the whole issue. But they are continuing running the opposite way to us. And now, now just remember, what's the goal of church discipline? Restore, win back. So now we say, can you pray for our brother? Pray for them. Pray for them fervently for the next week or two, right? Fast if you want. We want to see our brother one back. If you know them, reach out to them. If you're close with them, give them a call. Plead with them. This is now where the family is involved. And that's the picture. I think, I think it's a hard situation, but what a beautiful picture that can be of a church that actually cares Not like just sentimental care, but real life on life. I'm going to help you grow in Jesus come hell or high water. And if you're walking away, I care so much about your soul that I'm going to do a hard thing to try and win you back. That is a beautiful picture in a horrible situation. And if even that fails, if they reject even the whole body of brothers and sisters who've been praying for them and reaching out to them, here's what Jesus says in verse 17, if he refuses to listen even to the church, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Talk, take, tell, and if there's no repentance, treat them as an unbeliever. Which to the Jewish person who originally heard these words, that's what a Gentile or a tax collector represented. This isn't saying that Gentiles and tax collectors are bad. I'm a Gentile, <laughs> right? Um, But just to the Jewish mind, these were the people far from the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is saying, treat them as someone far from the kingdom of God now. Treat them as an unbeliever. And notice again, this is the member's responsibility. It's not just the pastor making a call on this. 
And often that's what happens in churches. It's that there's some situation that comes up. There's some backroom conversation that happens between the pastor and the individual. And then they're just kind of gone or something. And no one knows what really happened. Hey, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, I don't know. That's not the way the Bible talks about this. It's, it's the members who make a decision, right? And the members together draw a boundary and they say, here's the red card. You're off the field. You're no longer part of us because you're not playing by the rules. We can't have you out in the field anymore. And not because we're kicking them out per se, or we're saying they're beyond the reach of the arm of the Lord. Not at all. Actually, we're just recognizing the choice that they've consistently made. Right? That they've had a series of brothers and sisters and even the whole church come to them and plead with them to repent of sin. And they've said, nope, 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 I'll do what I want. Now, is that a pattern of life of a believer or an unbeliever? An unbeliever. It's just recognizing that that's the choice this person has made. And so here's, here's the question then. If, if we treat them as an unbeliever, how did Jesus treat unbelievers? Still ate with them. Still sought them out. Still cared for them. Still prayed for them. But he also didn't leave them with the illusion that they were part of his kingdom, did they? Did he? Truth and love. Instead, he urged them to turn around and follow him. And that has to color the way that we relate to someone if, if, and I pray this never happens in our church, but it might, and it does in churches. If we have to take this step, go through the process and, and recognize that someone is now, for all intents and purposes, an unbeliever and they're no longer part of our fellowship, then this has to color the way that, that we actually treat that person. And on the one hand, we're not Jehovah's Witnesses, right? So, so I don't know if you know much about them, but they, they have an excommunication process where you shun the person. If they're part of your family, you've got to go cold contact, no more, right? That's not us. That's not Jesus. So we don't shun the person. But at the same time, and, and also just say, we, we don't forbid them from coming to a Sunday gathering either. Actually, we want them here to hear the gospel. <laughs> but at the same time, we don't just pretend that everything's okay. Here's the way that a Puritan pastor named Jonathan Edwards puts it. Uh, he's the guy I'm actually researching for part of my master's project. So here's how he puts it. I find this really helpful. Um, and he has a funny way of speaking, so sorry about that. But he says, The church is to have a greater concern for that person's welfare, the person who's been removed from membership, than if they had never been brethren, if they'd never been a brother. You hear what he's saying there? More concern for them than just an unbeliever who's out there in the world. Why? Well, we, we therefore ought to, ought to make pains to reclaim them and to save them by admonishing them. Then otherwise, they're obliged to take those who had always been brethren. Why is that? Because this is a dear brother, we thought. Maybe they ended up that, that they were never a brother at all. It was just the appearance of salvation. It was just the appearance of faith. But for, for all our purposes, as far as we know, they were a dear brother. And we want to see them one back to the Lord. And our care for them is greater than the care for one who was out in the world that we didn't know from a bar of soap because we, maybe we served with them and we, we sat around Bible studies with them. We sat with them at dinner. We love this brother or sister. We want to see them one back. On the other hand, then, Jonathan Edwards quotes 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 to 15. He says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, this is Paul speaking, take note of that person, have nothing to do with them, not as in shun them, as in put them out of fellowship. So have nothing to do with them, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him 
as a brother. That implies we don't go cold contact. There's still something there where we we try to warn this person in the hope that they might prove themselves to be a brother. So let's say you, you run into someone in public that we've had to disfellowship from our church. Should you cross the street? Should you avert your gaze? Right? If they say hello to you, should you turn your back? No, absolutely not. Should you avoid having a meal with them? Funnily enough, Jonathan Edwards says, yeah, you should avoid doing that. I disagree with him on that. I think actually that the posture we should have is one of still seeking them out while recognising that they are no longer a part of us and respecting that they may no longer want to be a part of us. There's a line there. There is a boundary. And so if you, if you run into that person, don't cross the street, but also don't be casual. Or as Edwards puts it, complacent. Right? We want the tone of our conversation to be one where uh, we're still seeking after them, we're still warning them. All right? So we might be sitting around having a meal. We're not just going to talk about the footy. We're going to plead with them to come back to Christ. And they might say, oh, I'm sick of hearing that. I don't want to hear that anymore. Yeah, well, we are still seeking you. Well, I don't want you coming around anymore if you're going to, to keep talking about this. Well, okay, I guess I won't be coming around anymore then because my heart is to see you come back to Christ. Right? That becomes our posture towards this person, warning them as a brother while trying to still seek them out. So there we go. Four steps. Talk in private. Take a witness. Tell the church. Treat them as an unbeliever. How are you feeling? Yeah. <laughs> Exhausted. Thank you. Yeah. Like it's, this is hard stuff. That's why I'm researching it. That's why we're preaching it. Jesus says, says for us to do this. He commands us to. So we can't ignore his words. We can't evade them. And I just want to leave us with an encouragement, okay? <laughs> Here's the encouragement. I want you to look at verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Often we take that out of context. People take that verse and they think it means if I get into a fishing boat with my mates, there's the church. No. This is actually about church discipline. That's the context. If two or three of you, or even a whole church of you, have to carry this out and do this very hard thing in my name, for the good of my people, Jesus says, I'm with you. I promise to go with you. You will not do it alone. And if they listen to you, ultimately they're listening to me, says Jesus. If they come back to you, ultimately they're coming back to me. If they reject you, ultimately they're rejecting me, says Jesus. But as for you, I'm with you. He's with us. And the Lord Jesus has promised to build his church. Amen? Amen. Let's do hard things for the sake of the Lord Jesus, for the good of his church, for the good of his people. Let's pray. Lord, this is a hard sermon. This is, these are the hard words of Jesus. I pray that just the clarity of your word would sit with people. Um, I pray that those who are members here would, would grow into this picture that you want us to grow into. I pray that our concern for one another would be that we grow in holiness and love for you and each other. For those here, Lord, who don't know the Lord Jesus, we pray that um, you would draw them to yourself and that they would see the beauty of your way of life, but the beauty of the salvation that you bring as well. And that, Lord, you do everything, everything 
to keep those who are your own safe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to share in communion together now. So if you are a baptized believer, you've put